Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the long-awaited, highly-anticipated eighth episode of the Just Two Sports Guys podcast with your boys, JP and T-Dub, featuring my boy, Matty Ice. What's going on, everybody? Glad to be back. I feel like I'm becoming a mainstay on this thing. Oh, yeah. I love you being here, Matt. Obviously, you're more welcome to stay as long as you want. Hell, I wouldn't mind you being a mainstay. You're great. You know more about football than me. Um, yeah, so hello, buddy. How you guys doing today? Um, like be a, me and Matthew, Tim, and everybody from the Just Two Sports Guys camp like to wish everybody a very belated happy Halloween. I hope you guys had a great day, trick-or-treating, dressed in, man- in many different costumes. Matt, how was your Halloween this weekend? Uh the day before Halloween, I went to a Halloween party, so that was enjoyable. But Halloween day didn't really do much. Got to just relax, watch some football, and uh, yeah, overall not terrible. I agree. Yeah, my plan like I had a bunch of plans ready for Halloween, and as I do every school year, they s- somehow got canceled very last minute. So it is what it is. Honestly, like my second option was sitting back, watch football, and just enjoying my day. So hell, honestly, that's not like a great a great second. Sounds option like a better me. alternative, if I'm being honest. Yeah, you ain't wrong there. So honestly, it was a great day of football. Um, obviously, a lot of great games played. I think it was like 15 total this weekend compared to most weekends because we only had two teams in a bye, both the Raiders and Ravens. So without wasting any more time, let's jump right into it. In week eight of the NFL season. But first, before we talk about the New York Giants, like we start off with every other episode of this podcast, we have some tragic news that came out of Las Vegas early this morning, early Tuesday, November 2nd. Um, so apparently at 3.39 a.m. this morning, Henry Ruggs was charged with, well, got into a car accident while driving under the influence. And unfortunately, in that car accident, it was him and some other vehicle the driver of the other vehicle ended up passing away from the accident, and it's just a tra- tragic situation all around. Obviously, the main the main thought thought right now, and for everybody around the world hearing this, is that we should all put our thoughts and prayers into the family and loved ones of the of the deceased person. Obviously, it's never seen good seeing anybody get injured or killed like that, and. It's a sad thing to see, especially with Henry Ruggs. It's just very, very bad for this kid. He's in a lot, a lot of trouble. Honestly, I think his whole NFL career is over, to be honest at this point. He probably will be going to jail. It looks like in Nevada state law, a DUI felony resulting in a death will be sentenced from two minimum to 20 years maximum prison with also fines and a bunch of other stuff and suspension of license. So, obviously, it's a terrible situation. It's sad to hear. Very tragic news. And, honestly, I hope for the best for all parties around. I hope justice is served in the right way. It's just sad to hear. I never want to hear this any day, especially I hate starting an episode off with such sad news like this. Uh, Matt, what do you take away from this tragic incident that happened earlier today? Uh, I think you said it perfectly. It's a it's a terrible thing to happen for both parties, and, and I think it's important just to say we got to wait for all the facts to come to light. Uh, Henry Ruggs was, I, I believe, checked into a detention center, uh, not you know a couple hours ago, so he he's going to be in prison for a little bit, uh, you know, early on. So it's just important to let all the facts come to light. But I mean, you're a 22 year old millionaire. 
you got to be a little more responsible than, than that. And from the pictures and the images that I saw, it looks like it was honestly a devastating crash. It looks like cars might have blown up. And, and like you said, the, the, the police pronounced someone dead on site, which typically isn't the case. So uh, awful, awful news. And, and I'm hoping, you know, it, at least the, the person's family who, who you know, unfortunately passed away can find peace in all of this and, and and hopefully all the facts come to light but overall it's just a it's a it's a terrible thing to see especially for a franchise that is going through you know a change over the recent weeks uh, given the john gruden stuff so this is just you know another nail in the coffin unfortunately yeah it's like to me it's especially sad and kind of hits home more to me because like you mentioned he's a 22 year old kid the kid he's not le- like he may be an adult in the eyes of law but like we, Matt, you're 26. I'm 26. We obviously are adults, but we still act like, like kids many, many times. Obviously, this is not an excuse to act like in any sort of behavior like this. It's sad to see when you're an athlete like this of this stature, and like he's a first round pick. So he in uh, I think the 2020 draft by the Raiders, he's making a boatload of money, and it's just it's just very sad and it's just it boggles my mind boggles my mind the scene of these athletes like so young in their career throw their whole life away over some stupid mistake especially with this case here because you're a 22 year old and you've like obviously been bred like I was younger and you were younger too Matt you were like raised in like middle school elementary taught the don't drink and drive you know the whole dare program all that stuff well and it's like this kid makes so much money it legit is – It's it, money should be an issue for him to just like get an Uber and then maybe have – even have like – he has a money part to have someone show for his car back from the bar to home. There's no excuse to drink and drive. If you had one drink or one too many, just take an Uber home. Have your friend drive home. Like literally money's not an issue and it's just – it's just sad to see this. Well, you, you said it exactly though is that – and, and I know that obviously people have issues and stuff like that. This is a 22-year-old kid, but this is by far the one of the most preventable like crimes to commit. That those type of resources, millions of dollars, it's even more preventable. Why? Because you can you, uh, paying for an Uber isn't out of your price range. You know what I mean? Calling up a friend isn't out of your price range. Like it, it, it's one of the most preventable things. Yet people still find a way to commit this crime, and it's just it's sad that people do these dumb things, and other people have to pay with their lives. And that's just what it comes down to. And and if he is found to be, you know, his blood alcohol content is found to be way above the legal limit, he should rot in prison for the maximum sentence because there was a loss of life involved. And I think it's as simple as that. Yeah. And it's like also too, Matt, like like I mentioned, it does hit home more for me and it probably does for you too because we once had a friend. We still – well, he's still alive obviously to this day. But we had a friend. I had a roommate who was just like this, used to drink all the time, didn't care about you could drive it, and never thought it was an issue, and didn't think he would have a problem until he would cause harm you can drive it. So it's just, it's just very, like you said, very preventable, and it's just, it's just sad to see some people just either don't care or just have complete negligence when it comes down to the situation. Absolutely. All right, so now we're going to get to the games here. As we always start off, we're start off with the Monday Night Football Showdown of the New York Football Giants coming into Arrowhead, one of the hardest places to play. To play Patrick Mahomes and the struggling Chiefs. Uh, with this game here, it was a very close one. Honestly, it was a lot closer than I expected. I honestly thought the Giants were going to get blown out of the water. I was like expecting it blown out of the water, but was hopeful they could upset because Giants were coming off the win against the Panthers, building some confidence. 
Chiefs have been struggling all season, especially uh, the last week they played too. So, in the end, the Chiefs end up pulling the W out, 20-17. With this game, the Giants obviously been dealing with the injury bug this game like they have been all season. So, during this game, Sterling Shepard came back, and then he left the game with a quad injury. Dante Pettis, who's like the 18th receiver on the depth chart, left the game with also another injury. I'm not 100% sure what injury it is. It is what it is. Keep in mind, the Giants are already missing Saquon Barkley, Kenny Galladay, Nick Gage, Shane Lemieux, Andrew Thomas, all the injuries. Don't know when Saquon Galladay and Thomas to come back, so hopefully they come back soon. Also in this game, Kadarius Toney somehow hurt his thumb at some point in this game. He didn't come back and play the rest of the game, so it looked too bad. But it's something to keep an eye out to watch out for late in the week. Maybe it's just a lingering issue to get worse and worse, but hopefully not. Uh, with this game, the Giants, honestly, in my opinion, should have won this game. They play, They basically had it in hand. They just played to lose at the very end. Like they've done most games against Washington, Atlanta. They just choked at the end when it mattered the most. And with this Giants game here and the Giants team, penalties cost the Giants late in the game, just like they did against Washington week two. With Elijah Penny had a great, a great I think it was a um, screen patch or something. I forgot exactly what it was. He was in the flats. Got a big, like, 20-plus yard game. Elijah Penny is, like, the third string, fourth string running back. Mainly plays fullback most of the time. Never gets the ball that much. So, for him to get a big game, a big game like that, and then he decided to taunt one of the Kansas City Chiefs players. And that ended up being a 15-yard deduction from the end of the road, which I mean a first down. So, they didn't lose the down. They got a fresh set of downs. But the thing was, on that drive, the Giants got stopped, I believe, it was around the 50-yard line of the Chiefs. Now, let's keep in mind, if they, if, that didn't, if they didn't commit that penalty and had an extra 15 yards on top of that drive, they could potentially have a chance to kick a field goal to, make it, to put them up 20-17 to instead of them being tied 17-17, giving the ball back to Kansas City. Like I mentioned before, I hate, absolutely hate these taunting calls. And it's not just my Giants bias coming out right now. I've said all season, I hate the taunting calls. I hate the pass and the pass and the fears calls they do. I hate some of the replay calls they have, some of the rough of the passers. The, the referees have been absolutely awful this season. It's probably been the worst I've seen all around with just many, many different calls. But I get mostly this whole um, taunting call is a point of emphasis, but like, you're taking the fun of that game, like I mentioned last week, and it's just – it needs to stop. It just, it's not fun for me seeing this through penalties, especially when it hurts my team for the first time. Also, more penalties that happen. So, very on the next drive, after the Giants end up punting the ball back because they couldn't convert, it couldn't get a field goal, anything. Mahomes threw an INT during one of the plays. He was driving on the field. But, of course, I think it was O'Shea Zimenez jumped off sides on the play. So, that, that negated the – interception by Darnay Holmes, I believe, which right when I saw the flag fly in the air for the offsides, I knew automatically it was going to pick that play. I don't know why. I just had a feel because knowing the Giants and their luck and my luck watching this team is that they were going to have some have a good play and then shoot themselves in the foot like they have done all season. So that didn't help. And then also late in the drive, there was a non-face mask call that was called the face mask on Tay Crowder, which it was at first – it looked like it might have been a face mask because of the way Kelsey was pulled. But then he took another replay. And I think it was, yeah, Tate Crowder grabbed the, looks like it was the left pectoral where the jersey was and pulled Kelsey, which is why Kelsey turned the way he was. So an extra 15 yards, an extra first down that it 
Giants didn't need to give up. Ended up doing that. So it led to the Chiefs scoring the game-winning field goal to end up in the end, putting them to win 20-17. to uh, I'm going to talk about Daniel Jones for a bit. He had a meh game. Like, he went 22 for 32, 222 yards, two TDs, one god-awful interception. He had a 96.1 passer rating. So, with that interception, it happened early in the game. First drive of the game, the Chiefs had the ball. Mahomes threw an early red zone interception. I'm not going to really blame him for that. It was just, I think it bounced off Jerick McKinnon's body, went up in the air, ricocheted, and caught like a, like a basically a tip drill, like you say, for defensive backs. They do in practice all the time or the whole defensive team. And was picked up by the Giants. And, of course, like a few plays later on that ensuing drive, Dale Jones decides to just stare at his receiver down like he owed him money. And Willie Gay, number 50 for the Chiefs, came off, read his eyes, and picked it off. So that was a very bad INT. But besides INT, Jones played well. For me, when you have Dale Jones, I'd rather see him make no mistakes early on and bounce back. He looked pretty decent the rest of the game. Like, Matt is a big proponent on Dale Jones saying that he's not, he's not really going to cost you a game or not really going to win you the game. He really didn't do either of this game. He had a shot after the Chiefs scored the game-winning field goal to bring the Giants to get a score and drive out of them. He had the ball like the 25-yard line, his own 25-yard line with no timeouts with a minute left. Couldn't do it. It also didn't help that he was sacked two times on that drive. He was sacked three times total, only hit five times. So wasn't he wasn't feeling that much pressure until the very end. Um. Yeah, like the Giants, like I mentioned before, Giants this season have been making many, many mistakes where it comes down to penalties late in games. And it showed the most with this game here, the game against Washington. The drop pass has been an issue all season for the Giants. The drop INTs, I remember one specifically with Dory Jackson that could have closed the game against the Falcons. That happened. So in the end, the Giants, another loss for the Giants. I mean, honestly – they looked okay. I didn't expect it to be really in this game, but it's a game they should have won because the Chiefs are just not that good at all. Chiefs are not as good as the Super Bowl team they was two years ago. And, yeah, the Chiefs need to get it together if they want to make the playoffs because they just look very, very inept on offense and defense. You have the Kelsey fumble, the Mahomes uh, INT, which wasn't really, really wasn't his fault, but still another, another turnover you can't give up to another team. The Chiefs overall this season against NFC teams, which – they are 3-0, and I believe they played all NFC East teams. They played Washington, Philly, and the Giants. Yes, those are only three wins in the NFC because they play the Packers this upcoming week, and they still haven't played the Cowboys yet. But they are 1-4 against AFC teams this season, and a main reason why the Chiefs are not playing that good is because they have committed a total of 19 turnovers this season, which is the most by any team in the NFL, and that's not a good way to win. So, Matt... What do you think about um, my favorite team, the Giants, and this Chief game? First of all, how the hell do you say all that stuff without taking a breath? Uh, it's exhausting, man. It was a lot to go off my chest, you know, especially because it's fresh. This game legit just happened last night. I rushed home to see it, watched the highlights. So I had a lot to in- intake and a lot of frustration to give out. So, yeah, when the Giants lose a lot more, I have a lot of frustration, a lot more to exhale. So, yeah, that's how I feel right now. All right. It's been um, building up. All right, I, I got you. So you kind of hit on a lot of the points that I was going to make already in relation to the Giants and, and Daniel Jones specifically is that this was, again, yet another uh, example of him not winning you the game and not really losing you the game. That pick was god-awful. 
Mm-hmm. Like that that was they, he stared his damn wide receiver down and they, and and whatever. I think Willie Gay is his name. Yep. Just came came out of nowhere because he was reading Daniel Jones's eyes. Like that's a rookie interception right there. Like that's just that's what that is. But I mean, beyond that, Daniel Jones, did he play bad? No. Did he play good? No. So you know, it's exactly what you expect from him. Yeah, he had two touchdowns, but the protection was there. Almost the whole game until that last drive of the game, the protection was there. Not for nothing. There's no excuse when you're going against the Chiefs who have a, I believe they're 32nd in almost every major defensive category. You went out there and you put 17 points up? 17 points. Now, granted, I know you're missing some of your playmakers and stuff like that, but other teams have put up more points with less talent. Like, it, 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 it was a piss poor performance from the Giants. And Joe Judge, I'm sorry to say, like, his post-game interviews take a lot out of Giants fans, I'm sure, because he just sounds like an idiot half the time. Like, oh, we're going to write the ship. We're going to win. You're, you're, we're going to have success down the line. Like, you, you've had a year and year and a half now, and and yeah, you, you played hard last year. But these games, if you really wanted to show improvement, you sh- this is a game you should have won. Mahomes looks absolutely lost. I mean, I can count on my hand, on, on, uh, almost on two hands, how many plays Mahomes made that should have resulted in picks or, or a turnover. So there's no excuse, especially when you're going out there like the Giants did and you're spending so much money in free agency for big plays from your cornerbacks like Bradbury and and Adoree. And then you have McKinney on the back end and you have, I don't know if Jabril uh, played, and then you have Leonard Williams in the middle. Like, I'm sorry. Like, you're paying all this money to your defense to go out there and really, you know, make these plays and you can't even stop Mahomes when he's lost. Like, it's insane to me that, that the Giants just, Every week, I feel like they find instead of finding ways to win the game, they just they find ways to lose the game. And I think this was just another another case of it. Now, Daniel Jones didn't lose them the game, but overall, the the way the team plays, the stupid penalties, or the the undisciplined plays, the the you know the jumping off sides, it, it it's it's I'm sure as a Giants fan, it gets tiring. I can speak from experience being a Jets fan that mm-hmm. I do this all the time. So it must it must be exhausting. But yeah, I mean, getting back to you know overall the game. You know, Daniel Jones didn't do much to win or lose the game, but the protection was there. There's no excuse. If he's your franchise quarterback, he should have went there and carved up the 32nd-ranked defense in the NFL. It's as simple as that. Yeah, the defense didn't play terrible, but they didn't make a lot of plays. Two sacks? Okay. How many drop picks? Uh, about five or six. So, you know, I mean, it, it is what it is. And, and moving over to Kansas City, I am so glad I didn't pick them to be my Super Bowl pick. I have the Rams going to the Super Bowl, and I have uh, – uh, why, why am I blanking on my other Super Bowl pick? Crap, I forget. Ravens, Bills. Yeah, I, I forget. I think I think I chose the Bills, if I'm not mistaken. I, I could be wrong. But I mean, nonetheless, Patrick Mahomes looks completely lost. Maybe his his wife and his his brother should stop taking him out to dinner, and TikToks <laughs> or something, because the dude's forgetting how to play football before our very eyes. So it, it, it's insane to me. I think the the whole gimmick with Pat Mahomes, where he can make all these different arm slot throws and whatnot. It's just catching up to him because those plays aren't being made anymore. Teams are learning how to cover, cover, you know, his wide receivers. I mean, Tyreek Hill went out there at 12 receptions and a touchdown, but did, did, I think he underthrew him on two or three balls, if I'm not mistaken. Travis Kelsey was a non-factor, nowhere to be found. Miko Harmon had a decent game. DeMarcus Robinson did that game. I mean, the, the, the Chiefs offense looks lost. And I think the biggest problem with the Chiefs offense is they never establish a run game. Like yesterday was the first game I saw where they had over 100 yards rushing. It's always pass, 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 pass. You sat there and you established a decent offensive line by bringing in Thune, bringing in Orlando Brown, drafting Trey Smith, drafting Creed Humphrey, 
and having Niang on the right, right at right tackle, like you built rebuilt your offensive line with above average to pro bowl players. And you're not going to sit there and establish a run and at least make it easier for Mahomes. Now teams, all they do is drop eight people in the coverage and let three people rush the passer. Cause they know the chiefs aren't going to run the ball. So, you know, I mean, the chiefs got to figure it out. And do I think they'll figure it out? Yeah. Do I think they'll make the playoffs? Absolutely. Do, do I think that they'll make a run? Absolutely. Would I say they're the, the favorites to go to the Super Bowl? Absolutely not. But that can all change in a week. Next week, they can go and they can light the Packers up for all I know. Will they? Who knows? But, I mean, the Chiefs got to figure it out. The Giants are just the Giants. You know, they're the team that has the worst record in the NFL right next to the Jets over the last five, six years. So, you know, it is what it is. You come to expect it. And, and honestly, this is just the start of the gauntlet for the Giants. I know they have a couple more tough games coming up, so I guess we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But if I'm the Giants and I'm, you know, the owner Mara, you got to think that that Judge and Dave Gettleman are on the hot seat, and it's pretty much as simple as that. Oh, 100%. Like, obviously, judging them in the hot seat. Jones right now, it's like, even the commentators mentioned it last night, he's one of the hardest quarterbacks to, like, assess or judge this year. <laughs> Pun intended. Uh, because, um, obviously, Jones missing all the weapons he had, missing an offensive lineman. But yet, it's just like he's playing not terrible, but he's not playing great. So it's just like it's hard to assess him in the year. It's supposed to be like a make or break year. And it's like I feel bad for that kid because like I feel I feel like if he has weapons to be playing so much better. Yeah, but he's had the we- he had the weapons here. And like I feel like the the running theme with Daniel Jones is is that when he had all his weapons and then one of them got hurt, everyone pointed to the one that got hurt instead of the five he still had. You know well, what yeah. I mean? But like but then, when you lose, then lose when, a guy like Saquon, it's like you build your. It's like the Giants. You didn't like build your offense around Saquon. You basically, you yeah. Spent, you spent nineteen million dollars to bring in a number one wide receiver, a quote unquote number one wide receiver. You drafted a wide receiver in the first round. You still have Sterling Shepard. You have Darius Slayton. You have Evan Ingram. You brought in Kyle Rudolph. You have Devontae Booker, who's an above average backup running back, and you have John Ross, who is a burner. Like the the talents there. Like it's always with with Daniel Jones. I understand the assessment can't always be made. But there have been a couple games where he's had a majority of his weapons and he still fumbled the ball three times. He still looked like lost. So I, 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 the excuses are running out in year three. That's just how it is. Like that's if you're not – you got – eventually there was a time, right, when Eli Manning was making the players around him better. He didn't have these great weapons. What did Mario Manningham do after he left? Absolutely nothing. No, David Tyree. What did <laughs> David Tyree nothing. do after that? But that's what I'm saying. Good quarterbacks elevate the talent around him even if it's not the best talent. Peyton Manning did that for years. So I'm sorry. Daniel Jones's excuse are, excuses are running out, especially when you have the protection that he had for a large part of the night. Like, you can't keep coming up with the excuses. It, it, it just it is what it is. Like, I gave Sam Darnold a billion excuses, and I got burnt on it. So it's, it, it's the same as going with Daniel Jones. If I'm the Giants, if he doesn't show improvement down the line and you guys can't salvage it an eight, nine season or whatever, it's potentially time to start looking at alternatives because a new head coach or a new – GM is going to want their own guy anyway. Yeah. I mean, like, honestly, we'll have to see a way because, like, obviously we have a whole 17-game season. We're ten- we're not really halfway into the season just yet. I think by next week we'll be technically, I think, because it'll be week nine. But, yeah, there's still plenty of football to go, especially what happened this weekend. We know anything could possibly happen. So, with that being said, we're going to shift over to uh, the upset of the week with the Cincinnati Bengals. Reeling off a rolling off a big win in Baltimore against Lamar Jackson Ravens, coming into MetLife to play the New York Jets, and their backup quarterback making his first career start for the Jets, first career NFL star, I believe, as well. Mike White 
And wow, what a game this kid had. Mike White, the guy no one knew, went 37-45, had 400, yes, 405 yards passing, three TDs, two interceptions, both interceptions were off deflection. So I'm, I'm just going to gloss over that. He had a phenomenal game. Also give credit to the offensive line, which has been obviously injury riddled, had issues just in the Giants for years and years and years. He was only sacked two times. It's a great way to – it only took him until week seven for the Jets to finally start protecting their quarterback. Then to wait till Zach Wilson got injured. Like, oh, snap, maybe we should start, you know, protecting our franchise quarterback so we don't have to go through this again. So, yeah, the reason why Mike White got the start today, um, start, start last Sunday, is because, as we all know, the, the Jets did trade for Joe Flacco. But he hasn't learned the new playbook just yet because he was here last year. But they are in a new coaching regime compared to last year. So, you got to learn the whole new offensive scheme, style, all that stuff. So, I'm, I'm assuming Joe Flacco will maybe be playing Thursday night football against the Colts. I'm not 100% sure. Me and Matt will know more about it. But, yeah, so let me a few more takeaways I have for this game. The Jets finally got the first INT this season, which is great to see the defense finally stepping up on that side of the ball. Um, like I mentioned before, Mike White had 405 passing yards. This is the Jets' first time having a 400-plus-yard passer in over 20 years. The last guy I do, I think, was Vinny Testaverde yep. in 2001. And that's when I was, like, basically just getting to football, still a baby. I barely knew who he was. So, yeah, also the Jets – wore one of my favorite jerseys in the league, the all-black uniforms. And like a famous quote I, I saw before way back when, I don't know who it was by. Maybe I think it was Deion Sanders, to be honest. If you look good, you feel good, you play good. And that's how the Jets were. They played really good. But, Matt, I'm going to let you talk about this game because obviously you're a Jets fan. And go ahead. You roll with the rest. Uh, I don't even know where to begin because there's a lot <laughs> there's a lot to digest with the players and, and, and how they perform this week. I mean, first and foremost, the easy thing for a lot of casual fans and non-fans of the Jets that saw like the highlights in the box score of this game are going to be like, oh, you know, Mike White is, you know, God tier. He's this great quarterback, you know, whatever. The re- And, you know, Zach Wilson, this and the other, they're going to shame Zach Wilson for not doing this exact thing, which, you know what, do whatever you want because you're a casual anyway. But the reality is, is that Mike White went out there and he did what we've been hoping Zach Wilson would do for the first seven weeks or six weeks because the Jets have only played seven games um, for the first six weeks of, of the, the season for the Jets, which was go out there and take what the defense gives you. And if you look at what Mike White did and then you actually look at the breakdown of the, the 405 yards passing, roughly 300 of those yards came from routes and passes that were in underneath concepts meaning that less than 10 yards a lot of screens to the running back which i'll get into real quick in a second a lot of underneath routes you know short slants stuff like that so nothing that was really a deep ball nothing that was a shot he got the ball into his playmakers hands and his playmakers made plays which is what the jets should have been doing with zach wilson i think the problem that the jets have had you know in the first six games of the season was to make every throw that's just what it is. He can make every throw on the football field. The problem is, is that the offensive coordinator, Michael Floor, knows that can do that. So he's going to call plays that are longer developing, that require, you know, more arm strength, that a quarterback that can make all the throws. So he was calling a different game, albeit the same playbook. He was calling a different game. And that's probably why we never really saw Zach get into a groove like Mike did. So kudos to Mike. Hell of a game. He did exactly what we, we've been hoping Zach would do. And we've been hoping LaFleur would call this type of game where 
it was all that underneath stuff. And then on top of that, when you have a guy like Michael Carter, who was our fourth round draft pick out of North Carolina this year, go for 172 total yards, which was the most yards from or any, I think, all purpose for any player in the league this week. When you have a guy like that who you can trust to not only go out there and run the ball between the tackles because your offensive line is gelling the way they are, but also catch the ball. He led us in receptions and rushing yards with nine receptions, 95 yards. When you can go out there and you can trust that your running back is can be a three-down back like that, it makes your life a hell of a lot easier. So, I mean, overall, just an impressive, impressive performance from the offense. Uh, Michael Carter is a legit weapon who should be getting a bulk of the carry. But other than that, Mike White distributed the ball to almost every wide receiver. I think there was about nine or 10, maybe 11 players with, with a, a reception in this game, which to me screams distribution, screams Mike White knew where the ball was going and he was able to find the guy. But I think the most important takeaway from all this is that the offensive line is starting to come together. Trey Hendrickson, the, the pass rusher for the Bengals that they brought in to replace Carl Lawson, who's with the Jets injured right now, did get a sack and a half, but it really was just a coverage sack. It wasn't so much him beating anyone. The Jets' offensive line really is coming together. And, you know, the one unheralded player that, you know, interior offensive linemen don't get a lot of talk, but Elijah Vera Tucker is, be, is, is be slowly becoming a Pro Bowl caliber left guard for us. Like, I, 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 I'm not joking. Like, he's had probably – I think he was rated the, top, the third best left interior – or, I'm sorry, third best interior offensive lineman over the last five weeks in the NFL, which to me, it, it, makes, it, it makes it all worth it because once we get Mekhi Becton back, we have a solid left side of the offensive line. So, yeah, other than that, I mean, just overall an impressive performance from the Jets' offense. And one other thing to note is that Michael Ford finally, after weeks of me begging and screaming at my screen, watching the disappointment every week, he finally went up into the box to see the game from above the field instead of being on the sideline. So now he can finally see the full field, see what defenses are doing, and he called a hell of a game. And that's all I want when Zach Wilson inevitably – comes back, that's where LaFleur has to be. He has to be up in the box, calling the game from the box. And that's pretty much it. Other than that, the only other highlight I have is that the Jets held Jamar Chase to three receptions, 32 yards, which was his lowest total on the year. He did score a touchdown, but that was on a broken play, you know, some backyard football stuff where he was just running around like a lunatic and he just happened to get open. Beyond that, overall impressive performance. Crazy that the Jets' first interception came from a defensive lineman, but I'll take it because we ended (laughs) up with the dub. And overall... I'm just – I'm a happy Jets fan. Did I think we were going to win? No. But did, was I happy that we looked competitive? Yes, because all that matters to me is that we show improvement throughout the year, and I feel that's what we did, and we just happened to come out on top. And one more note before I let this all go is that teams prior to this game were 0-59, I believe, in games that the other team was leading by 11 points with five minutes or less. The Jets are the wow. first team to win. So now it's 1-59. The Jets are the first team to win given that scenario, which is absolutely insane to me. And the last little nugget of, of information that I'll leave you with, Mike White's only the second quarterback in his first career start to throw for, for, for over 400 yards and three touchdowns, second only to Cam Newton with the Panthers. So overall, just an impressive performance. And kudos and congratulations to that guy that bet on Mike White to, to throw for the most yards. And this week, he won $125,000 because Mahomes and Daniel Jones only threw, threw for less than 300 yesterday. Of course. Well, uh, I forgot to mention the score before. The Jets end up winning this 34-31. And I'm actually glad you mentioned the whole Michael LaFour thing because I kind of want to talk about that. So, like, I listened to your uh, the first episode of the Flight Deck podcast. Uh, that's the name, right? I'm probably not mistaken. Yes, sir. All right. If you guys – 
Honestly, you guys should listen to that. It's a great podcast. Who I listen, learn anything about the Jets? They go on full coverage about every single thing about the team during every game. So when I listened to the first episode, I know you mentioned how you said Mike LaForge should be calling plays the offensive coordinator in the booth because he could see the field much better compared to on the sidelines. So do you think the way the Jets uh, won the game had something to do with Mike LaFleur coaching in the booth, calling plays in the booth compared to on the sideline as well? Uh, absolutely. When you can, it, it's one thing to look on the little, you know, surface tablet that they have and be sitting next to the quarterback, like on the sideline. But when you can actually get an overarching view of all 22 players and how they're lining up, it just makes it that much easier to call a game in, in my opinion. And we've been clamoring on my podcast for him to do this since week one, because we just knew that it was more beneficial. All the good offensive coordinators call the game from the, the, the top booth. Unless you're a guy like Andy Reid or, or Sean Payton who, who calls the offense from the field because you're the head coach and you have to be on the field. Like unless you're one of those guys who have established themselves as premier, you know, offensive minds, Call the game from the booth. We saw it this time. And if and if Zach Wilson does come back and, and, and LaFleur thinks that it's a good idea for him to go down, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You can't do that. And one other side note is I'm pretty sure Salah said something about that to him. I think Salah had, had implied in his postgame interview that he had a conversation with LaFleur to go up there because he thought it would be more beneficial for whoever the quarterback is. To, to, to have that, that you know, benefit of, of the offensive coordinator being up there. So, overall, I was just so happy to see it. And, it. and I really do feel that, ultimately, he didn't call different plays. It was just executed better, and he called the right plays at the right time because he was able to see the field. I got you. Yeah. Like, overall, it was definitely a well-coached game overall by the Jets, offensively, defensively. And it was just a good, good game coached by the Jets in total. So as you shift from one good game coached by great te- by uh, good coaches to another game also very well coached in the New England Patriots coming over to L.A. SoFi Stadium to play Justin Herbert and the Chargers. The Patriots came in, end up taking the W in a 27-24 close affair. So first thing, the Chargers are wearing the alternate beautiful all-Navy blue jerseys. I love those jerseys. I love both the Chargers alternate all-Navy blue jerseys and their, I think, royal blue jerseys, which I believe they're wearing against the Giants later this season. So I honestly can't wait to watch that, mostly because of the jerseys. We know the Giants going to be out of contention, probably dead to rights at points. So with this game, Chargers had the lead 17-16 to early in the fourth quarter until it all fell apart when Herbert threw the pick six which uh, it was – I don't know what happened there. I think it was a miscommunication between him and Jared Cook. I don't want to put the blame on either one because Herbert's a really good player, but he is still young, and also Jared Cook is a very experienced tight end. But mostly you want to put the blame – if you had to pick one side, I'll put the blame mostly on the tight end just because the the quarterback should know the exact route to do. So with that pick six, end up leading – the Patriots end up taking the lead, going up 24-17 with a a two-point conversion successfully converted. It wasn't Herbert's best game. He went 18 for 35, 223 yards, two touchdowns, two INTs. Uh, the first one, I believe, was off of the flexion, so I'm not going to get uh, annoyed about that or whatever. So the reason why Herbert didn't have the best game, it wasn't really Herbert's fault. It was more along the lines of Bill Belichick still being one of the best head coaches of all time in the NFL. Obviously, he's had a team scandals, a bunch of scandals overall, but 
just like Brady, he is still Belgic is still one of the best at what he does. He still still knows how to call plays the right time, know how to make young QBs fold on the pressure, like he's done the Zach Wilson read twice this year and Justin Herbert this year. So yeah, honestly, the Patriots had an overall good coach game, just like the Jets did. Matt, how do you feel about your arch rivals versus the Chargers? Uh, that's the first time they've beat a team over 500 in a year and a half. And to be honest with you, the Chargers aren't, they did not look good. Justin Herbert, I mean, let's be really honest here. Uh, Justin Herbert's a a hell of a quarterback. And I just think this is a case that Bill Belichick is just good against young quarterbacks. It's just what it comes down to, unfortunately. And and honestly, that pick wasn't his fault. Uh, the, the second one to, uh, uh, what was it to Jared Cook that I think it was Adrian Adrian Phillips, I believe, uh, yeah. picked off for the pick six. So, you know, it wasn't his fault. It was just a rough game. I mean, it, it, historically, the Chargers, are, I, I believe, are 1-13 against the Patriots in the last God knows how long. Wow. Something, something absolutely insane. Um, but, yeah, overall, neither of the quarterbacks looked good. Everyone's, everyone likes, you know, fondling Mac Jones a lot. But Mac Jones started the game off, I believe, like 10 for – or. Eight for twenty-two, or eight for twenty-four, or something like that. Finished the game eighteen for thirty-five. So, not really impressive. I think that the the thing with the Patriots is that Mac Jones isn't going to impress you with the arm strength. He's going to impress you with having a high completion percentage. But his average air yards are going to be roughly five yards here, five yards there. Nothing insane. I believe right now, as it stands, Mac Jones' average air yards per throw is about four point one yards, which is I think second to last in the NFL, if I'm not mistaken. So he's not going to wow you with arm strength. He's, he's going to put the ball in his playmaker's hands. This was just an ugly game, and that's ultimately what it came down to. The 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 I think Los Angeles doesn't get the ball in Eckler's hands nearly enough. Um, and, and honestly, it was just it was just an ugly game. It was a defensive game for the most part, and, and you know the Patriots defense just made plays when they had to make plays, and that's just what it comes down to. Do I think the Patriots are a real contender? Absolutely not. But do I think that they can sneak into the playoffs in a wild card? Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, that remains to be seen. There's plenty of football to be played. And, and honestly, I'm just glad that we don't have to play them anymore this year because uh, I don't think I could take another ass kicking like the one we got last week. Yeah, last week was terrible. Like, I felt bad with you watching that team because obviously seeing them get blown out 54-13 to and also Zach Wilson going down the way he went down at the time looked bad. But yeah, like I said, Bill Belichick just knows how to coach against young QBs, and it's just he—he's just—he's just one of the best of all time. I honestly wouldn't be surprised to see both teams later on down the line in the playoff picture. I won't be surprised both teams make the playoffs, but I don't see teams really going far in the playoffs because they're both young teams. Yet Chargers are still rebuilding. They look like I, I, like you mentioned before. You said the Bengals last week looked like. You thought they were a year behind, but they may not be. I think the Chargers could be one or two years behind from having a really, really good Super Bowl contender team. Absolutely. All right. So, on to the next game. We have the game of the week, which was played on Thursday Night Football, which was highly touted to be the game of the week. And it fully delivered in the 6-1 Green Bay Packers traveling over to the desert to play the, at the time, undefeated 7-0 Arizona Cardinals. So with this game, the Packers gave the Arizona Cardinals their very first loss in a very tight, thrilling game. The Packers pulled a W out 24-21. So we obviously going to talk about the main part I want to talk about, which me and Matt were watching a game, and we kind of glossed over the first happens, was the reversal on the Packers' touchdown that was initially ruled a touchdown. It would have put them up if they made the extra point as well. 
31 to 21 with like, uh, I think it was like four minutes left. So it was called on a field touchdown. And when the calls are made the field or whatever call it is, and they go to review, there's supposed to be insufficient or sufficient amount of evidence pointing that the roll call was made and for reversal. From the camera angle that it showed us on TV, and I'm pretty sure the crowd as well, it looked like Aaron Jones, it just didn't seem like there was enough evidence to show Aaron Jones didn't cross the plane. Like, it looked like his butt might have hit the ground before crossing the line of scrimmage, but there's no overhead view or side view of the pylon to see. All we could see was a camera angle behind the line of scrimmage pointing at the, like, the offensive O-line. So, like, I don't know what the referees were thinking there and overturned the call because maybe it's assumed that he didn't make it, but still, you can't assume that. You need you need so much evidence to show that it was a roll called overturned. In the end, it didn't end up fighting the Packers because they won 24-21 to 21 because A.J. Green's awareness, LOL, is god-awful. I don't know what he was doing. I, I think it was he was going to run block, but I don't know why he would run block in a situation where I think they had 15 seconds left, no timeouts, at the two-yard line. I think it was like third and goal, I believe. Yep. I just don't understand why you would think they're going to run it if they have no timeouts left because odds are you don't make it. You're scrambling, and then it's fourth and goal. You obviously can't spike it because it'll be a turnover and down, and you have to rush to make a play calls. I don't know what A.J. Green was thinking. So the Packers sneaked away the win. They honestly should have deserved it with the whole revert, the bad reversal call on the touchdown from Aaron Jones. Um, yeah, honestly, Packers had a good game. I think the thing was the biggest thing that happened was the turnovers by Colin Murray finally caught, caught up to bite him. He, he's been having intos, fumbles throughout the whole season, but he had two interceptions in this game. Also a fumble loss on Rondell Moore, which was overturned. Originally, initially was ruled down by the kicking team on a punt, but Rondell Moore just slightly grazed it, which we had a feeling it was. So that's a very costly turnover. Another thing, reason why the Packers won is because the Cardinals cannot stop the Packers' rush attack. A.J. Dillon had 16 carries for 78 yards. Well, Aaron Jones had 15 carries, 59 yards, one TD. Overall, 151 total rushing yards to the Packers. So that's a good way to, to compliment Aaron Rodgers and the bad man that he is. Matt, how do you feel about this game of the week? Uh, it, I, I'm going to be honest with you. It lived up to the hype. But I feel like every primetime game, whether it's Sunday night football or Thursday or Monday night, has, has been a really good game with the exception of the Chiefs versus the Giants. So... I mean, it was close. I would say it was decent. Yeah, but because, of, the, Saint but because the game Seahawks. is close doesn't always mean that it's a good game. That was an ugly game from both teams. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah. More I mean, entertaining listen. would have been Patrick Mahomes going out there, throwing for 400 yards, five touchdowns, and a shootout. Like, that. Like yeah, it was close. It was competitive. That's what it was. But it, yeah, wasn't, that's it, it wasn't as entertaining as a lot of the other primetime games were, and in essence, this game, right? I mean, first and foremost, that, that interception on the last play of the game, was per Kyler Murray, it was a, uh, a miscommunication, which it did look like it was one because it looked like AJ Green was trying to block downfield. Like, yeah. like I, I don't know why you would run, like you said. Why would you run the ball on third down? I don't know if they had a timeout. I, I don't think that they did. No, they didn't. But I don't know why you would think that. But listen, stuff like that happens in the NFL. Not everything's perfect. Stuff happens. Like, the, Car- the Cardinals weren't going undefeated. Should they still be undefeated? Yeah, probably. I mean, I think we were watching the game, I think, at, at your apartment, and I'm pretty sure I said to you, like, oh, they're going to go down and they're going to win the game. Like, that's what's, just what's going to happen. But, I mean, nonetheless, 
you know, stuff like that happens. The interceptions definitely caught up to Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is probably, in my opinion, the the number the you know the second person in line for the MVP uh, after this game, just because of another guy we'll talk about later. Um, but yeah, overall, you know, I mean, outside of that, the stupid face mask penalty from DeAndre Hopkins that's the difference in the game right there. If we're being honest, right? That's four points right there. If he if he doesn't get called for uh, called for that that face mask penalty, I think that resulted in, in a field goal, if I'm not mistaken. You're right. I totally forgot about that. So that face mask penalty by itself could could have been the difference in the game. You don't know. Overall, though, I mean, it, it was a hell of a game, and I think and I don't I don't think this is an understatement. You can let me know. If it, or I'm sorry, an overstatement. Let me know if, if I'm wrong. But I think AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones have to be the best one-two running back combination in the NFL. Every other team that has running backs, you know, they have a premier running back, and then they have you know a, a below average running back. AJ Dillon is a bona fide stud. Aaron Jones, we all know what he's capable of. I mean, the dude put up, what, 50 points in fantasy at some point this year? Which is absolutely insane. And it makes it makes Aaron Rodgers' life easy. And you know what the funniest part about Aaron Rodgers is? And I'll always say this because I think he's the most talented and probably the best quarterback of all time if you obviously account for his touchdown-interception ratio, completion percentage, all that other stuff, is that Aaron Rodgers can go out there and put up four touchdowns. Like, like he's in college. He can go out there and put up four touchdowns but only throw for 200 yards. It's, it's one of the most – insane things to me and that's what I, that's i think it's important to highlight that's the difference between a great quarterback and a guy that's not going to win you a game or lose you the game like daniel jones is that aaron Rodgers can go out there and he doesn't need to put up 400 yards but he has an impact on the game he wins you the game like you knew when he got that ball before obviously the last drive by the cars you knew he was going to go down there they were going to put up points you knew it and that's just that's just how it goes now was that touchdown that got called back by aaron jones absolute baloney yeah it was because there was no definitive angle it was ruled a touchdown on the play no definitive angle to show where his knee hit the ground. But, you know, the refereeing has been god-awful and the reviews have been god-awful this year. So it is what it is. But overall, I left impressed. I think both these guys, and, and Aaron Rodgers said it to Kyler Murray after the games that they're going to see him in the playoffs. And I hope they do. I hope these are the two teams in, and also the Rams that I, I think the NFC is going to win the Super Bowl no matter what. But I think it's going to come down to the Packers, Cardinals, or Rams. And, you know, I mean, it, it is what it is. But overall, super impressive. Uh, game from the Packers and, and great game from the car, uh, you know, from the Cardinals, even in defeat. So they'll both be there come playoff time, and I'm excited to see it. Yeah, honestly, I wouldn't be mad about another Cardinals Packers uh, playoff series because honestly, we've seen great games years ago with the whole Rodgers throwing a hail mary to Jeff Janis against the Cardinals, almost win that game. Then you had the call Stansby against Kurt. I think it was against Aaron Rodgers with the. I think it was a fumble coming brought back for a touchdown to end the game. So, yeah, I honestly, it'll be a great game to see. I honestly can't wait for the playoffs. But, yeah, like you mentioned, I can, I'd probably see a Super Bowl champion coming out of NFC because the, going into Sunday, we have, like, I think it was five or six teams atop the NFC all with one loss. It was just like – and you see AFC, AFC teams all beat up with each other and losing random games. So, I honestly can't wait for the playoffs. It's going to be great. So – I'll bring us to our next game. One of the teams who did have one loss going into last Sunday, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers playing the division rivals, their night, <laughs> the New Orleans Saints. And, um, wow, I was very – like, it was a very – I guess you would say the big takeaway from this whole weekend was back quarterbacks shining against winning or subpar teams, which they most likely shouldn't have. As you had Trevor Simeon coming in for injured Jameis Winston to win the game – 30, 36 to 27 for the New Orleans Saints. So, like I mentioned, J- Jameis Winston, unfortunately, 
left the game with a knee injury. It was later found out it was a torn ACL. I think he has more damage to his MCL or PCL. I could be wrong. Unfortunately, he is out for this season, so their backup plan to Drew Brees retiring has fell through. Taysom injury, I believe, is still injured with a concussion. I could be wrong. He should be coming back in the next few weeks. But yeah, Taymen, uh, Trevor Simeon, the reject from Denver, has come alive, went 16 for 29, 159 yards, one TD, one fumble that wasn't lost. Not eye-popping numbers, but he did enough to win the game for the Saints. At one point, the Saints were up 23-7 in the third quarter. The Buccaneers end up storming back to only be down, to be to come back, take the lead 27-26. The Saints would get the game-leading field goal with a minute 41 seconds left. And then P.J. Williams picking off the GOAT, Tom Brady, with a pick six to win the game, seal the game for the Saints. Like I mentioned, rare mistake by Brady to throw a pick six late in the game. He had two INTs, one fumble lost. It was going to happen, Brady, this season in an off game. He played pretty much stellar this whole season, throwing four TDs, basically every single game, including this one. He scored four TDs, but the three turnovers obviously is going to negate that a bit. The Bucs could not stop the Saints' rushing attack, which is very key and vital. When you have a backup quarterback like Trevor Simeon, well, I would say basically four-string quarterback, Trevor, third-string quarterback Trevor Simeon, you, we want to run the ball a lot more put the, and put the ball in your running back's hands and other playmakers' hands. Alvin, Alvin Kamara overall had a decent game. He was a lead back for New Orleans like he usually is. 19 carries for 61 yards, one TD. Overall, the Saints had 152 total rushing yards. So Saints came in, did the job, what they had to do. And now Tom Brady, I believe, is 0-3 against the Saints in a regular season, which is insane. Like, if you were Eli Manning, the New Orleans Saints, you are basically – the regular season New Orleans Saints, you're basically Tom Brady's kryptonite. And if you're not them, you're not winning anytime soon against the GOAT. Matt, what's your um, takeaways on your favorite player of all time, Tom Brady? Uh, F that guy. <laughs> um, so, fun statistic for you. Uh, Tom Brady, I believe, if I remember reading the statistic right, it was 12 picks in his last, like, I don't know, 20-something games against teams not called the Saints, and six picks in his last three games against the Saints. Wow. So, it's uh, – uh, he, he really struggles with uh, with the Saints. And, and to be honest, I mean, to be fair, uh, he missed some throws that could have resulted in touchdowns. I know Mike Evans had a couple steps on a couple different different plays where – you know, they probably would have been touchdowns. He beat Marshawn Lattimore quite a few times. He did have that deep touchdown pass from from Brady. But overall, I mean, Tom Brady struggles with with the, the Saints. And and the funniest part of it is P.J. Williams said in the pregame that he really wants to pick off Tom Brady when it matters. And what did he do? He went out there and he picked off Tom Brady when it matters. Tom Brady stared down his wide receiver, and then P.J. Williams undercut, or I guess it was kind of, it was kind of an undercut of the route, um, and, and picked him off to seal the game. Tom Brady didn't have a bad game. Almost 400 passing yards. I mean, not as many yards as the god Mike White himself. But <laughs> four touchdowns, you know, two picks. I think he had a one or two fumbles as well. Um, and, and a 112 rating. He got sacked a couple times, but that was on that final drive. So you can't blame the protection. There's no one to blame but Tom Brady for this loss, realistically. The wide receivers did what they were supposed to do. There wasn't a lot of drops. Tom Brady just didn't play well. And that's, you know, it, that seems to be a common factor going against the Saints. So, listen, man, as someone who had to deal with Tom Brady, I'll take every loss he can get. Does this mean that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers aren't a Super Bowl contender? Absolutely not. Because if they play anyone not named the Saints, they'll probably win. Or at least they'll, if they play anyone not named the Rams or the Saints, I should say, because the Rams took their cake. But 
other than that, Trevor Simeon, that's, you know, ex-Jet God to you. But, <laughs> but listen, man, when, when you have a backup, first of all, I hope James Winston gets better because I really – he started off the game really well, six for ten, had that really beautiful touchdown pass, I think, to Traquan Smith, if, if I'm not yeah, mistaken, in the back right. of the end zone. Um, so, yeah, uh, listen, man, I hope James Winston gets better. I, I love the video of him dancing around on his crutch in the, in the, <laughs> the game. That was, yeah. was really getting down. But listen, Trevor Simeon's a very limited quarterback. But when you have a guy like Sean Payton who knows how to work around that, when you have the talent that they have, and, you know, Deontay Harris, Traquan Smith, they have Marquez Callaway, and then obviously they brought in Mark Ingram the week before, Alvin Kamara is a stud. When you have that talent like that, you can you can make it work. And I think that's what the, the, the Saints did. They just made it work with what they had. And I'm surprised, I would be surprised if they don't go out there and they don't try to find a quarterback that, you know, is on, on you know, out there, namely Cam Newton. Um, I mean, I'll trade him Joe Flacco for a first-round pick if we could find a way to make that work. Um, but other than that, <laughs> other than that, defense played a hell of a game. They really did a good job of getting into Tom Brady's head outside of obviously, you know, or I'm sorry, getting into Tom Brady's head at the crucial times because obviously Tom Brady lit him up for a lot of a lot of yards and they got the sacks when they needed to. An overall great performance from the Saints. Do so I think they're a real contender? Not without Jameis Winston which is odd to say because Jameis Winston is one of the only – I think he's the only quarterback to ever throw for 33 touchdowns and 30 picks in a season. Yes, but sir. honestly, listen, man, the Saints have Tom Brady's number, and, and if they meet in the playoffs, who knows? You never you never really know. But this is kind of a, a harsh blow to their their hopes to be that number one seed. And for you know, anyone that's listening that doesn't know, I'm fairly certain the rules are still in place that the only person – only team that gets a bye is the top seed now. So this puts a, a monkey wrench in that plan. So and and honestly, you have the Packers and you have the Cardinals who are steamrolling teams right now. So and the Rams. So we'll we'll see how it all plays out. But yeah, like you mentioned before, Sean Payton. He obviously dealing with the Drew Brees injuries the past few years. He always finds ways to figure out this quarterback. Like we saw two years ago, I think when Drew Brees had like eighteen million broken ribs at once. He had Teddy Bridgewater in there, and he played. What it was, I think Teddy went like five and one while uh, Brees was gone. And then last year, Breeze, I think, broke a finger or, or something like that. He had Taysom yep. Hill somehow end up doing well for the team. So, yeah, Sean Payton always knows how to find ways to win a game without the best quarterback. And I'm glad you mentioned Cam Newton because I'm so surprised he had a, hasn't had a job yet. I think Cam Newton is probably a much better player than Joe Flacco. So, I would be surprised to see a Saints sign Cam Newton. Cam Newton is somewhat familiar with playing against the Buccaneers. Um, and uh, what's the other team? The playing the Falcons, and he does have history against Tom Brady. So who knows? Maybe he might have some insight that can help play uh, beat the Bucks if it comes down to playoff time. But yeah, so we'll see how it goes in the playoffs. Well, one more uh, note about that quickly is just um, apparently Philip Rivers had said that he'd be open to coming back if they gave him a call, which would be interesting because he's a free really? agent, so they can sign him instead of how there would be no draft pick compensation, there would be no waiver wire pickup or anything like that. So that would be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I also would be surprised. Rivers on the team, I honestly could see him do well. Like, Payton does great one as your quarterbacks. And like I said, if he just needs Taysom to come in when he comes back, a few plays, gadget plays to help move the fields and make it flow better. Yeah, honestly, I would sign Phil Rivers if he wanted to come back. Why not? All right, so on to the next game as we have the Sunday Night Football Halloween matchup edition of the Dallas Cowboys coming in to play the Minnesota Vikings. So, like I mentioned, the theme of this whole weekend was backup quarterbacks and a shot in their performance and going to dub against the the um, winning teams or subpar teams, in this case the Vikings, the subpar team. The Cowboys came in 
win this game 20-16, all thanks to Cooper Rush, who was on his second stint with the Cowboys, I believe. He played was on the Cowboys practice squad, went to the Giants, was a practice squad there, I think, early last year or this year, then came back to the Cowboys. He was making his first career NFL start. Um, it was a crazy to see Cooper Rush. He, he didn't play spectacular. Actually, no, I, I'm just kidding. He actually played spectacular. Sorry, I had the stats here. I thought I didn't have it for a second. He went 24 for 40, 325 yards, two TDs, one INT, one fumble loss. So he had two turnovers. Like, it's going to happen with someone just stepping in as a, as a third-string quarterback, basically, at this point. And with this game, like we mentioned before, there was deficiency on both offenses. The Cowboys obviously missing Dak Prescott with the calf injury that he's been dealing with since the game against – what was the team he played against two weeks ago, Max, that had the bye week last week? Uh, was it the Eagles? Uh, I, no, I, that was I, early, I, I that was early on the season. They played someone. But anyways, so he suffered it two weeks ago because he had the bye last week. And obviously the Vikings have a deficiency on their offense with having Kirk Cousins as their starting quarterback because Kirk Cousins – is not a good quarterback, in my opinion. Uh, anyways. So, I, as a Giant fan, I never liked Kirk Cousins. I think he's always been overhyped, and he always comes up small in big moments. With this game, Kirk Cousins only had 184 passing yards, one total TD. His record in primetime is just not good if you're the franchise quarterback getting paid a lump sum of money that the Vikings legit pushed Case Keenum away, who brought him to the NFC Championship game the season before. They came inside Kirk Cousins. He has not been that good. Overall, he is has a total of eight wins in primetime and 17 total losses. And for Kirk Cousins and the Vikings, this had to be a must-win game. You're at home on Halloween, primetime, against a Dallas team. Albeit Dallas is a really, really, really good team, and I hate saying that. They are overall a really good team. But obviously, the most important part in most teams, and including this Cowboys, is your starting franchise quarterback. And for the Vikings to only put up 16 points against a team where they had to score a lot more and just not let the Cowboys be in this game, let the Cowboys stick in this game, and eventually it cost them. It was a must-win game for the Vikings, and it was a very devastating loss that could really derail this team. The Cowboys end up winning this game 20-16, like I mentioned before. Overall, good game for Cooper Rush. Congratulations, Cooper Rush, on winning your first NFL start. Maybe Dak will be back next week. I think he's on track to be back next week, but we'll see how it comes in the next coming days. Matt, how would you feel about this primetime Sunday football game? So, first and foremost, I want to rebut your statement about Kirk Cousins being bad because I don't think he's bad. I think that he's an above-average quarterback, and he's had 4,000-yard passing seasons. He's not a bad quarterback. He just has brain farts sometimes, I guess, but – I mean, Kirk Cousins, fun, a funny thing that I was reading is that he has his best years on years that are odd. So 2021, 2023, <laughs> 2019, he course. sucks in even years. So take that for what you will. But he's actually has, I think, close to, if not, he's exceeded 2,000 passing yards already, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. He's having a really good year, believe it or not. It, this was just one of those games where, where the Cowboys defense was just suffocating. Ultimately, it was just, it was kind of just an ugly game. I mean, Cooper Rush's stat line might say he had a great game, but he was close to 50% completion. He struggled very early on until his playmakers started making plays. And that's just what it comes down to. When you have Amari Cooper, CD Lamb, and obviously Ezekiel Elliott in the backfield, it's like you don't, you can be a marginal quarterback at best and still throw for 300 yards or still throw for over 250. 
So ultimately, hell of a game from the Cowboys. And, and I know you hate to say it because it's bittersweet to say, but the Cowboys, I, I didn't mention them in, in my Super Bowl contenders because I really do think the Buccaneers, I think the Rams and the Cardinals are, and the Packers are the real real NFC threats here. But the Cowboys with Dak, assuming he doesn't have a nagging injury that takes him, you know, it keeps coming back or, you know, whatever. Cowboys are, are, are in the thick of it also because that defense is really coming alive. Contrast to last year where they were god-awful. Statistically, they were the worst defense in the NFL in, or close to one of the worst defenses in NFL history. So, I mean, listen, man, the Cowboys are the, are the real deal. Obviously, Cooper Rush had a hell of a game, not compared to the god Mike White. But you know, <laughs> it, it, it was a good game, to, to say the least. Um, overall, though, I, what the thought that I left with this game is that I don't think the Vikings are nearly as bad as, as people think they are. I think that they'll win a couple games and they might sneak in with the wild card. But I think the Cowboys are the real deal because if you can go out there and your defense can play the way they did, they can shut down Justin Jefferson. Adam Thielen didn't really have, you know, a major impact on the game. You know, when you can go out and you can do that and, 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 and play as well as the Cowboys did without their starting quarterback, it just speaks to the depth of the team, and it, it sucks to say if you're a Giants fan, but I, I don't hate Dallas, so I, I really do think that they're in, in to be a competitor you know, the same way as, as the other teams. I just don't think they're quite at that level yet. But overall, impressive performance from the Cowboys. They're going to win this division in the next couple of weeks without a doubt in my mind. Um, and, yeah, hopefully Dak can get healthy and, and, and come back and light the league on fire the way he's been doing so far this year. Yeah, also one thing I'd like to mention, too, I, th- I believe it was Trayvon Diggs' first game this season without an INT. So his streak of six straight games to start the season with an INT has unfortunately came to an end. But, yeah, the Cowboys are definitely a big Super Bowl contender. Like, they could, could be the leading the Super Bowl contender right now. And it's like after, what, like 25 years they have won a Super Bowl in right now? I think it was like 25 years, right? The, the 90s, 94? Yeah, it was like, I think it was 94, 95. So there was a, the year I was born. They won the Super Bowl like earlier that year. But yeah, so they won the Super Bowl. It'll be the first time in 25 years. And it's just like, I don't want to see that because I was a giant fan. And it's like the Cowboys fans would never let it down. I know one of my best friends, Tyler, is a Cowboys fan, but he is total opposite of it. It would be good to see a Cowboys Super Bowl for him, but, like, it's just – I don't want to see it happen. But if it happens, I'll just have to deal with that pain and suffering and misery for God knows how long – last how long. All right, so on to another game. We have the Tennessee Titans coming in to play the Indianapolis Colts. The Titans able to pull out the W, winning 34-31 to 31 in OT. So, like, like me and Matt mentioned last year, me and Matt both have Michael Pittman Jr., on our bench in fantasy for the first seven weeks, and we that was both the stupid decision for both me and him. So with this game, he had two early touchdowns in the first quarter, so put the Colts up at a 14-0 lead. Overall, Pittman had 10 catches, 86 yards, and the two teams I mentioned. In fantasy, he gave both me and I believe Matt as well, too, 20-some points. In the end, it didn't matter for me because that team still lost, so it, it didn't matter at that point, which thing. I don't know if it helped you when your fantasy league mad. It didn't help me when, unfortunately, I lost by three points, something like that. So, Colts ended up tying this game at 31 with 22 seconds left. The Titans scored the game-winning field goal, 45-yard field goal by Randy Bullock to win the game in OT. Uh, the big takeaway I have, well, one of the two takeaways I have from this game is Carson Wentz probably playing his worst game to in this season so far and what i mean by the worst game was that he committed mistakes at the worst 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 possible time having two ints very late in the game the first one was a pick six at the end of the fourth quarter which like we've seen the pet those the int slash fumble 
that he did against the Rams, which I was mind-boggled. And the game last week, I think it was, who did, who did the Colts play last week, Matt? Do you remember? <laughs> Bro, you're testing my memory here now. Okay, let me look up. Because I remember he played I, 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 I can pull week. it up. Hold on one second. Let me, let me pull it up. I got you right now. I'm, I'm doing it. But, yeah, so I remember last week we mentioned how we wanted to see how the Colts They, they play played the 49ers. The yes, and that was that was the game. It was a primetime game. How Wentz threw that god-awful INT to try to like, toss it up in the air. He won to... up it this week. Oh, yeah, and the worst possible time. He threw, he threw it legit. He hit the one-yard line and just threw it up as he gets sacked. To I, I think it was number 24 with the Tennessee Titans, who's legit right on the D-line. Picks it off and really had to run two yards to turn for pick six. That was a terrible pick six. And then the one in OT where he looked like he overthrew his receiver was just terrible. Wentz, he's not, did not play good this game with the two late INTs. Before this game, he only had one INT this season, which I believe it was the one, because one of them against the Rams was Issued a fumble, was ruled a fumble. So, I think one against the Niners was the INT this season. Overall, it played great this season coming up to this game. I'm not going to bother reading the stat line because obviously two INT is the most important part. But honestly, the Titans came with a victory, but not coming out of any negativity. Derrick Henry, unfortunately, suffered a foot injury in this game. And he it looks like he is out. For the rest of the regular season, he had successful foot surgery, I believe, earlier today or yesterday. So that's a big, big, big blow to the Tennessee Titans. Like I mentioned before, the Giants build their offense around Saquon Barkley in that running game. Just like the Titans build most of their offense around Derrick Henry in that running game. That's a massive blow to that team. They did sign Adrian Peterson and Deontay Foreman, which you guys don't remember. He used to play in the Houston Texans. Always why I remember him. He was like a backup and then got released like mad quick. But, yeah, it's just a bad blow for the Titans. Hopefully, Henry come back playoff time. We don't know if he'll be back to the same form. But we've seen all these players recovering so fast from injuries, like Mahomes and Jones. The past few weeks come back too too fast, in my opinion, from the concussions. But, man, but yeah, Matt, how do you feel from this game? Uh, listen, man, it, it sucks because my, my opinion on this whole Derrick Henry injury thing is that the, the, the Titans are stupid. Because I understand running your offense through the run game, so to speak, but there's no reason for Derrick Henry to be getting 30, 35 carries every single game. Like, that's a recipe for disaster when it comes to a running back. You just paid this man a lot of money to be the running back he is, and he was going to probably break the rushing record this year. But you're giving this man 30 carries a game. And this is why I've always said you don't draft running backs early, and running backs are depreciating assets from the second you draft them. This is why, because when you abuse a running back the same way the Steelers are abusing Najee Harris, that investment you put in is not going to pay off. And this is just one of those cases. I mean, great win. Tennessee, I I don't – they haven't done anything to really prove to me that they're a real contender. And this wasn't one of those games where they did because they lost to the Jets. I mean, come on. But, listen, you can't – Ryan Tannehill has shown this year that he's really not worth the contract he signed. But now he's going to have to carry this offense. And and the way that A.J. Brown plays, yeah, A.J. Brown's a hell of a wide receiver, but you better hope Julio Jones finds that next gear and he can channel his 24-year-old Julio Jones self because you're going to have to throw the ball a hell of a lot more because you're bringing in a, what, a 38-year-old Adrian Peterson? 38 years old? Really? So, I mean, you know, they're going to have to figure it out. Good win, but... Again, this team is, is only going as far as Ryan Tannehill takes them, and they better hope that Ryan Tannehill figures out how to be Ryan Tannehill of, of last year or the year before that 
because he's been god-awful for the most part of this year. And switching over to the, the Colts, listen, man, Carson Wentz, I, I'm fairly certain, hasn't been turning, o- turning over the ball a lot. They've just been some ugly turnovers when he has turned it over. The problem is, is that Carson Wentz, his offensive line is, yeah, the sack numbers aren't there, but the, I'm sure if we looked up the pressures to see how many times he's been pressured and it didn't result in a sack, sack because he you know made a play out of it, would be a really you know high number. But Carson Wentz, when he is getting pressured, he's making dumb plays. He's making dumb passes. And as a Jets fan, selfishly, I hope he does it again this Thursday because the Jets are playing the Colts. <laughs> but listen, man, the, the, the Colts are in a similar they, – their offense runs through Jonathan Taylor. And Jonathan Taylor didn't get – I mean, he got 16 carries for 70 yards, but he didn't, you know, really break off those big runs and gash the defense and get, you know, a, you know a, those big runs. So it didn't set up the play action. It didn't set anything up for Carson Wentz. And when you're asking Carson Wentz to throw the ball 51 times a game, he's going to make a mistake because that's just who he has proved himself to be. Other than that, Michael Pittman's coming out party has been happening all season, and he's been riding my bench until this week. Didn't help me win fantasy, but he did have a big game, which was nice. But he's blossoming into a number one wide receiver, so maybe that'll that'll you know give him a kickstart. But they really got to figure out why the offensive line outside of Quentin Nelson is being as bad as they are because – there's no way they're going to be competitive, you know, and, and, and even make a run at the wild card this this year if they don't figure out that offensive line. But, yeah, overall, I mean, a good win for the Titans, but I'm less than impressed with both teams. And, and the fact that Derrick Henry's hurt makes it even worse. Yeah, like I honestly wasn't really impressed by either team. But getting back to your Jets being the Titans, so I saw this on Instagram at some point uh, during Sunday, and it basically just shows how – craziest whole NFL season is so early on well after this Sunday the jet the Saints have now beat both the Packers and the Buccaneers then the Giants somehow went into New Orleans the first home game with fans in over a year beat the Saints Washington the few weeks prior beat the Giants the Bills beat down Washington the Titans beat the Bills and the Jets then beat the Titans. So, therefore, the Jets are the best team in the NFL. So, you guys heard it here first. Jets are the best team in the NFL. Jets are, Jets are going to go to the playoffs. Oh, yeah. Jets are going to win the Super Bowl. Super Bowl bust this year, right? Uh, absolutely. Especially when Zach Wilson <laughs> comes back and they start actually running the right offense. Yeah. All right. So, it is shit from a quarterback who's on a new team. Used to play for the New York football Jets. We have Sam Darlin, the Carolina Panthers, playing the Atlanta Falcons. So... With this game, like I mentioned, Sam Darnold, he left in the fourth quarter with a concussion. We hope it's okay, but we see, obviously, Mahomes and Jones recovering fast. So, maybe we'll see Darnold ready by next week. He didn't have the best stellar game. He went 13 for 24, 129 yards, uh, 69.6 rating, had eight carries for 66 yards. So, it just wasn't overall a good game for the Panthers and Falcons. Both teams didn't play that well. We also had Shuba Hubbard. I, I think I pronounced his name right. He fumbled the ball away on the very first play from scrimmage in the game, so that didn't really help set the tone for the Panthers really to get a good get a good rhythm going. Um, yeah, so it was just not overall very defensive battle, low scoring game. Also, another takeaway I had: Calvin Ridley also missed this game as well as he missed a few prior. Due to personal reasons, and he finally disclosed what the personal reasons was, he is dealing with mental health issues. And obviously, mental health is no joke. It's a very serious thing. A lot of people are suffering 
way more than we fit than know. Especially NFL players, like I believe on Sunday NFL Countdown, they even had J- Jason Kelsey, the center of the Philadelphia Eagles, sit down and talk about mental health issues and stuff like that. So obviously, no joke. Hopefully, Calvin Ridley can figure whatever's going on in his head, figure it out, feel much better. Hopefully, he's take care of all the mental health issues because no one to see anybody go through that because it can really be a mental. It can be really draining on a person, no matter what they do, any profession. With that, so hopefully he comes back better than ever and soon as possible. So, Matt, how do you feel about this game? Uh, I mean, there's really not a lot to say. Hopefully Sam Darnold gets healthy and it, it can come back. I, I think Sam Darnold and, – and I, I said this earlier about Daniel Jones and making excuses for him and, and, and whatever. The thing with Sam Darnold is, is that with the Jets, the offensive line fails him, right? With the Panthers, they have the worst offensive line in football. So, it's like – it's tough because I don't want to give Sam Darnold all these excuses, but it's just like – he makes some piss poor throws, but there was a pass through. I think it was DJ Moore in the end zone that should have been ruled a touchdown. Got called back. I mean, it, it's you know his wide receivers drop a lot of balls. Like I think yeah. they drop the most in the NFL. You know, solid day from Chuba Hubbard, and hopefully they get back uh, Christian McCaffrey so they can at least you know utilize him and, and maybe run the offense through him. But they they have a good one two punch when when Christian McCaffrey's back so maybe they'll be able to try and establish a run game or at least open up the passing game because there's the threat of the run but overall the Panthers defense carries them every week and the Panthers defense will continue to carry them if Sam Donald or whoever the quarterback is can at least marginally play like as a game manager they can win some more games they can beat some damn teams so it's going to be interesting to see what the Panthers do moving forward especially at the quarterback position I'm surprised they didn't go out there and try to make a move for for you know someone to help block because the outside of Moten they don't have anyone else that knows how to block so it, it's pretty sad from from the Panthers side because I really did think this was going to be the year where they take a step forward, but I, I didn't. I underestimated their ability to have a terrible offensive line and a head coach that really is not who everyone thought he was going to be. Um, flipping it over to the Falcons, I mean the Falcons. Matt Ryan looked lost for most of the game, less than impressive. Cordell Patterson seems to be the only player outside of Kyle Pitts also that has any you know. Oomph so to speak, when it comes to, you know, playing. And they held Kyle Pitts in check for two receptions, 13 yards. So when it's not Kyle Pitts, without Calvin Ridley, which I'll, I'll quickly touch on in a second, the, the Falcons' offense looked anemic. They looked lost. And, and realistically, I think it was just a combination of the piss-poor offensive line by the Panthers and the fact that the Falcons' you know defense was better than the offensive line of the Panthers, which really made the, uh, the difference in the game. But really wasn't impressed with it. The Panthers can can figure it out and uh, you know win a couple games. I know they have a couple tough games. I don't think they played Tampa Bay yet, so that's going to be an interesting game to see how their defense stacks up against the uh, the offense of, of of the Bucks. But we'll 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 see. They might be playing them this next week if I'm not sure. But um, quickly touching on Calvin Ridley, I touched on this on on my podcast. Football is always going to be there um, for for these guys. Calvin Ridley is is a hell of a player, but football is always going to be there for him. The most important thing as you know, some specifically me, someone who has suffered with mental health issues before is you got to take care of yourself first. You know, you're potentially, I don't know if he's a father, but you're a son to someone. You're a friend to someone. If you're not taking care of your mental health, then, then you're not, you're doing yourself a disservice. And, you know, obviously the social stigma with like men and mental health, you know, up until, you know, recent times has always been, you know, you can't talk about it. You can't this, but it's a good thing for him to set it, set an example and go take care of himself because, at the end of the day, you're you are on with your own thoughts, and you got to take care of that first. So the the game's always going to be there for him. But at the end of the day, Calvin really is doing the right thing. Take some time away, figure figure yourself out. You know, 
find peace in your own in your own mind in your own life and, and the game will be there for you when you come when you decide to come back yeah like honestly with the whole mental health stuff it's like to me it honestly shows a lot a lot more strength for someone to come out and admit that mental health and they're willing to work on it than if you don't admit it all because it's like it's nothing wrong with showing your vulnerability it, like everybody has a soft spot vulnerability in them it's nothing wrong with showing that it's just better seeing people like wanting to get through this and want to make themselves better. And I'm glad he's taking time away to work on himself. So he come back the best self, the best cavalry he possibly could be. And also, Matt, I'm glad you, I know it stinks come uh, your mental health. I have not really de- dealt it like you have mental health issues, but I'm glad that you're not suffering it right now or as much used to. And I'm glad you feel much better, to be honest. I appreciate it. Anytime, my dude. All right, so on to the next game. We have the L.A. Rams coming to Houston to play the Texans. And I'm just breezing this one because we all know how this is going to turn out. The Rams slower the Texans 38-22. to The Rams started off 38-0 to in the third quarter. Did not give the Texans a chance. The Texans lost their seventh straight game. Uh, for the Texan fans and their whole organization, the, be- the only um, yeah, silver lining you can say of this is at least you're not the Lions. So, um, yeah, that's all I have for this game. Matt, I know you want to talk about a certain someone with this game, so go right ahead. So, uh, you know, I kind of foreshadowed earlier on about, you know, Kyler Murray being second in the MVP race or or whatever, but Matthew Stafford has to be the number one guy. I mean, I I predicted that he was going to be the MVP this year, and I probably should have put some money down on it because Matthew Stafford is just having an insane year. I mean, this is what Sean McVay meant when he said the offense won't be limited anymore. You go out there. I know the Texans aren't this great team. They're not a juggernaut defensively or offensively. They're not even good. They're a bad team. But the, the, the Rams have been beating up on teams week in and week out. They put up points because their offense isn't limited, and Matt Stafford is leading the charge. He's my MVP. And on top of that, they might have another MVP at wide receiver in Cooper Cup, who's on pace to break almost every Calvin Johnson single-season receiving record receiving yards record. So it's just overall, it's a good, probably a great time to be a Rams fan. Um, and, and I really do think that they're, they're full steam ahead straight into the playoffs and really should make a, a deep run with Matt Stafford, potentially winning the MVP this year. I couldn't agree anymore. And um, also, especially with the newest addition to the team, which I'll mention in a few seconds, that team is just unstoppable right now this year. It's ba- they're basically going some mindset, especially with the Super Bowl being held in SoFi Stadium where they play their home games. That for them, it's Super Bowl or bust. And honestly, they are my Super Bowl, the Super Bowl favorite. Stafford, like you mentioned too, is probably my MVP favorite. So we'll see how that comes the next coming weeks. So I'm going to run through these next two games because these games really nothing really eye-popping to me or really stood out. Uh, Steelers end up playing the Cleveland Browns in Cleveland. Steelers some surprisingly pulled the W when a very low-scoring game, 15-10. The next game we have is Miami Dolphins coming to play the Buffalo Bills. We already knew how this is going to turn out, too. Buffalo Bills came in. Took care of business against the Dolphins. Um, it was surprisingly a tied game in the third quarter, 3-3. Tua didn't look good. And he hasn't looked good all season, to be honest. Like, I was kind of surprised, in my opinion, they didn't really go for a quarterback in the draft or somewhat. I mean, not the draft, the trade deadline. But it is what it is. Next game, we have the Philadelphia Eagles coming to play the winless Detroit Lions. And it, after that game, they were still the winless Detroit Lions because they got slaughtered at home 44-6. to I honestly don't know why Fox had this as the local local televised game because it was just awful. I believe they changed it to a different game with well into the third quarter because Lions just getting smacked around. 
Another game we have the Jacksonville Jaguars coming to play the Seattle Seahawks. Seahawks won 31 to 7. You kind of figure that with Jacksonville flying all the way from Florida to Seattle in this disgusting Seattle muggy weather they always have up there. Seahawks started up 24 to 0, never really gave a chance. They had an onside kick return for TD. We don't really see that. Uh, first home win for the Seahawks this season, so good for them. The next game, the division rivals, the San Francisco 49ers coming to play Chicago Bears. Jimmy G starting again, ended up pulling the W, 33-22. Yeah, that's it for that game. And very last game of the week we have, the Washington football team coming to play the Denver Broncos. Both teams um, not looking good the past two weeks. Basically, really need a win to hopefully keep afloat. Denver pull out the win, 17-10. Washington had two blocked field goals this game for a guy named Chris Blue, which I think is the most funniest name for a field, field goal kicker ever in history. And, uh, yeah, Broncos scored the game win TD with 427 left to go in the fourth quarter. Oh, uh, so basically that does it for week eight recaps. So as you guys know, today is Tuesday, November 2nd. About four or five hours ago at 4 p.m., the trade deadline has officially passed, so there cannot be any more trades in the regular season moving forward. So a few trades I want to mention here. Three trades really that is really eye-popping to me over the weekend. I'm extending to the weekend as well, too, because we know the – Los Angeles Rams traded for eight-time Pro Bowler Von Miller, which is a big pickup for the Rams to ensure that defense even make it bigger, stronger than ever before. And it was a great pickup for the the, um, L.A. Rams. And surprisingly, Von Miller going back to his college numbers at, I I think it was Texas A&M he played at, we're number 40, so very odd to see that. The Chiefs. Uh, traded for Melvin Ingram from the Steelers, I believe, linebacker. Uh, I thought they'll make a lot more moves than that, but I guess it's something better than nothing, I guess, in my opinion. And then we have Matt Freeze's New York Jets traded to help out that O-line. Um, Laurent Duvernay-Tardy, the offensive lineman from the Chiefs who stepped away last year. That's doctor. Their 2020 season. Yes, doctor. Sorry, Dr. Laurent Duvernay-Tardy because he – what made the heroic decision to stop playing football last year, take a year off and help people in the feet in medical field and try to battle COVID. So honestly, all respect to him. Jets made a good pickup to um, fortify the O-line a little better. Matt, do you have any more details on that Jets trade? Uh, no, not really. They gave away arguably the worst player on the roster for a guy who was half decent. And, uh, and obviously he didn't play last year. In 2019, he was an, an above average guard. And honestly, you can't get much worse than Greg Van Roten. So this is easily a uh, a trade to fill that right guard position because we have an all a potential all pro left guard in, in Elijah Barrett Tucker. So I'm happy to see it, especially like you you know alluded to earlier in the podcast, is that the Jets' offensive line really looked good this week. So this is adding another piece that hopefully can gel with the existing offensive line and, and form a cohesive unit that'll protect not only Mike White you know in the immediate you know future, but Zach Wilson long term. Yeah, I think it'll definitely help out the Jets a lot, especially when Zach Wilson comes back. I think he's, I think he might come back. I'm not this They, they said that he was going to come back the Sunday. Not obviously we play Thursday this week, so not this week, but the Sunday fo- 